This podcast is sponsored by Meridian. For custom integrators, it's all about the performance. We get that at Meridian. That's why we craft high-res audio solutions, purpose-built for integrators, that put the listener right at the heart of the performance. High-res audio, engineered for you, built by Meridian. It's the future of sound. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, a brand new podcast produced by the home integration community for the home integration community. My name is Jeff Hayward and every month we'll be taking a look at the business issues facing the industry. Today we'll be going underground and looking at a recent report pointing to a decline in mega basement conversions in London. As Robbie Williams battles next door neighbour Jimmy Page to try and get planning permission for a pool and gym in his basement, We ask if these projects are still a stairway to heaven for integrators. (laughs) And did you have a whole lot of love for National Smart Home Week? How was that for you and your customers? In fact, what was it? Who was behind it? And what does it tell us about our industry, if anything? Yes, where is professional home integration heading? Will it be no future or a future so bright that we're all going to have to wear shades? Welcome to the Integrated Home. Helping me dig deep, literally and metaphorically, into these topics today in our very own super basement, or should I say smart apartment, in fact cinema of the smart apartment, are two people from the UK's finest award-winning integration firms. Yes, I do mean Gary Lewis, sales director of Cornflake, and Chris Knight, managing director of Perfect Integration. Hello to you both. Hi. Hi, Jeff. So, Chris, what's going on in your world? Um, Well, I'm in the middle of my own project at the moment and finding it very interesting being sat on the other side of the table from the team. Not quite a mega basement going on, I'm afraid, but um, yes, it's been very, very busy trying to do that and keep the business running as well. And Gary, what about you? Well, um, living in Epsom, we've just had the Derby weekend um, and and I live fairly close to the race course, so I've probably spent the last few days recycling. (laughs) Recovering. (laughs) And what about projects? What are you working on at the moment? So we've got some some special projects at the moment outside of London, always nice. Um, I think it's nice when there is a lot more real estate to work with, as we'll talk about later with the basements and the shrinking of the sizes. Certainly outside in Ascot, Sunningdale and Surrey, there's some very nice projects going on. Chris, what about you? Um, Yeah, same for us, actually. We've got a nice split of London-based and um, home counties projects at the moment, including a, a big house in Hertfordshire that's got a mega basement to beat all of the mega basements it's ridiculous so um, that one's nice and we're finishing off a project just outside of Monaco as well refurbishment of a beautiful equivalent of listed in French market M Villa right on um, the tip of Cap Dye um, so beautiful panoramic sea views being finished to very very high standard and it's a sort of a fully integrated home with lighting control heating controls and the, the full AV security package as well so um, we've been on site on and off for the last couple of years and it's, it's very, very close to an end now, which is an exciting time. What about you, Gary? Where's the furthest afield that you, uh, you're currently working? Currently, not quite as glam, but we're in Guernsey, which is a lovely place, if you like your own company, it turns out. So it's... Um, and actually, we can get there sometimes quicker than it takes us to get to London anyway. And the flights are frequent, and it's nice. It's a, it's a beautiful area. It's an exciting job for us, mainly because it's a new build. And 
funnily enough, it's quite rare for us to do new builds. As London companies, we only ever work with refurbs. And also, the London refurbs take forever to do. The basement, if they're being dug out, is an 18-month project, plus 18 months on top. It can be two to three years for a job. Whereas a new build, we get we haven't got any of the restrictions on joist spaces or anything at all. It's designed from the ground up. And again, it's coming to fruition now. So it'd be a nice, exciting job. So, mega basements, what's the story? Well, almost 1,000 gyms, 376 pools, 456 cinemas, 381 wine stores and cellars, a car museum and one beach were found in the plans for basements approved by seven London boroughs between 2008 and 2017. You missed out a tennis court. A squash court. Right. And a shooting range and a bowling alley. Okay. all right. (laughs) Well, that's according to Luxified Troglodytism, a report just out from Newcastle University which indicates that the market is shrinking because of tighter planning restrictions and fewer properties undergoing this type of renovation. So, Chris, is the bottom really falling out of mega basements? Um, We are definitely seeing a shift, I think, in future projects. Most things that we're currently working on got planning permission before the restrictions came into place. So there's a large number of mega basement projects currently live. Um, But I think in the coming years, we're going to see a real restriction in those because the planning constraints are so much tighter now. It doesn't really make financial sense to dig a a single-storey basement under a lot of the properties. So it's all about square footage? Absolutely. I think everything in London is about property values and square footage and cost per square foot, etc. And the cost of digging a basement are massive. So unless you're adding significant square footage, I think a lot of people just aren't going to bother, which I think was the whole idea of the restrictions. But it is going to have an impact I think. And how many of these basements are you doing Gary? Is it, is it every project in London pretty much has one of these? Most projects, all large properties now would have a basement of some description but I suppose I suppose the question really is do, does it matter to us in our industry and actually we love basements. We love basements because of all of the stuff that they put in there. They are always occasional rooms normally which are rooms that people don't want to spend too much time in because there's no natural light So that will be cinemas, gymnasiums, swimming pools, spa areas, wine stores, etc. And all of those areas, all those rooms do normally have our equipment in. So to answer your question, the bigger the basement, the better it is for our industry as a whole. Um, And it will make an impact. However, people have been digging basements for a long, long time now. And some of the first jobs we did back in the early 2000s, we're now going back there to refurbish those original super basements to redo the cinemas, 4K and all the uh, advantages we've got with new advanced in the technology. So I think that these iceberg homes that we've seen, this subterranean living will continue, albeit there are some restrictions on newer sizes of the basement. So how have planning restrictions actually changed, Chris? Um, I'm no expert, but my understanding is that you can now no longer dig more than a single storey below the property. Um, And whereas we did see a lot of properties um, where the basement covered not just under the existing house, but under the whole garden as well. I think there's now restrictions on how much of the garden you can dig under. And the knock on effect of that is that there's just less space down there and therefore less people are going to bother doing it because the costs are still very high. So it's not possible to do a two or three basement? Not unless you got permission beforehand. And I think it's just down to the disruption and the noise for neighbours. And there's been lots of high profile cases where people have complained and there's been various campaigns in the news, often headed by a celebrity that probably has their own basement that doesn't want someone else next door to have a bigger basement than them. 
Well, it was getting it was getting probably out of hand, and people believed and they did own the earth underneath the house to the, the centre of the earth. And the problem actually was, as Chris said, it was the the disputes between the neighbours was just becoming ridiculous. On on Fillmore Gardens alone in Kensington, every week there's private contractor going round with a field light measuring every single house and all of these parts on the house if any of the properties were moving because at any one time there seemed to be five or six super basements being dug out and we always used to say somewhere there is a huge hill, Fillimore Hill, somewhere. <laughs> Where does the soil go? So that kind of dispute that you talk about, that's exactly what's happening with Jimmy Page objecting to what Robbie Williams wants to do which is, it's all the disturbance. It's it's the disruption rather than just because he's a better pop star. <laughs> and they do move. The, the houses do move. Crossrail 2, when that went under, it went under Soho Square, and loads of the properties have got movement on that. I know that's a, a big basement, but it was quite a bit deeper. And when you're digging right next to someone else's footings, especially on a period property like one of those, they're, they're rightfully going to be concerned. Also, 12 months' worth of noise to 18 months' worth of noise is, is probably a small annoyance. And I think the thing is, in these very, very exclusive streets, Eaton Square, Burgrove Square, etc., where properties obviously cost tens and tens of millions of pounds, you, you buy a property there, and although a lot of the people don't spend the whole year there, um, if when you're there there's just constant noise. And the, the thing is, as soon as one finishes, another one started, or there's several happening at once, and there's just dust and contractors and noise, and I think that did become a bit of a problem in, in London, and I think it probably outside London as well. So if there are single basements going on, that's still fine for the cinema business, which is core part of what you guys do? It's safe to say that on a London property with the real estate value at some of the ridiculous costs that we've seen, you know, sometimes over £5,000 a square foot, there's not many people would want to use a ground floor up room to put a cinema in. So we do rely on basements for us to use for these rooms. They do need space for all the plant, and cinema really is a good second room. So Chris, if a single story basement does go in, what are you going to put in it? Um, I mean, as Gary mentioned earlier, cinemas are a very, very common use of a room. We, we finished a project recently in Hampstead where the basement, the guy was a key musician as well and he had a recording studio down there where he could go down and jam with the kids and led off into a games room and a, and a cinema room and a, and a gym down there as well. So that was a single story basement, albeit on a large property. So I think anything that you want quiet or anything where you're going to make a lot of noise. I think a basement is a good use of that and obviously anything that doesn't need much natural light. So you're not going to use it as an artist studio, I don't think, but it could be used for most other things. Right, let's move on to another subject. Um, National Smart Home Week happened a couple of weeks ago. It was backed by Google, Samsung, Amazon, loads of other big consumer brands. Allegedly, it was a showcase for the very best in smart, connected, integrated home technology, but not a mention of our industry or the things that we do. Just wondered whether there was any impact from consumers that were getting in touch with you as a result, Chris, or did you even notice it was on? Um, in short, Jeff, no, I had no idea that it was Smart Home Week a couple of weeks ago, so I think that probably tells you all you need to know about the impact it perhaps had on our industry. It may well be something aimed at the sort of the mass consumer market, but I think the industry that Gary and I work in and, and most of our, our peers, we're already working with the Smart Home Tech and our clients are already au fait with it so perhaps a campaign like this would just pass us all by. So it's aimed at a very different market but is that helpful to our industry? I think it, it does give recognition to our industry. Smart home is what we do after all and smart home technology really for the consumer is an app on their phone. Now 
they're very, very comfortable with that and they're very comfortable with controlling their heating and their music and their lighting and their TV and their satellite receiver with different applications and it works very well. It doesn't cross over onto our industry so well because the properties are far, far larger and a lot of the equipment there isn't really made for the larger properties. And also our clients have never been ones that would like to app swap. Everything has to be on one particular app or one GUI or one remote control and they seem to feel a lot more comfortable with that. Let me put it another way. Should we be worried about people being encouraged that they can do quite complicated things themselves? I'm not sure. Um, certainly, again, the market that my company typically works in, our clients are often sort of money rich and time poor and I think the time it takes to set these things up for yourself or go out and find them for yourselves, our typical client just hasn't got the time or necessarily the personal interest in that. They just want things done properly and they're prepared to pay a price and happy to pay for a service rather than a product. And that's what our industry is all about, delivering service rather than hardware. And also, we've always said anybody can go and buy a TV and put it on the wall and they can buy a speaker and screw it to the wall. But they can't do it seamlessly without seeing any cables. And I think you probably, Chris, the same as myself. The brief you get from every client is it's got to be simple to use and I don't want to see it. Yep. And what we do is we hide it and make it easy to use. A lot of properties you work in are older properties, period properties, particularly in central London, and they've often got an interior designer involved and they might have a very luxurious or very traditional interior. And coming along and sticking a 65-inch TV by the fireplace just isn't really going to cut it. And a lot of people are quite happy to have that, and, and rightly so. But I think the, the typical client, the typical project we work on, they want things to be done much more discreetly and much more integrated into the home, and that's what we do. And I, I don't, sorry, Jeff, I don't actually think, though, it's, it's very easy for us to get caught up in our own world of the clients that we have. There is nothing wrong at all with the jobs that some of the smaller guys, the smaller companies or the one-man bands do, and they'll come and they'll put a nice TV in for someone and a surround sound system or a multi-room audio system and a little bit of Philips Hue lighting, whatever it might be, and they'll come away and they've got done an absolutely fantastic job and the client's over the moon. It's just not our world, but it's a great proposition for people still, and some people have got very, very successful companies doing the same. I think even in that market, that the, the typical client is still prepared to pay to get it done properly, um, and they would go to a, an integrator, however large or small that company might be, and they just want the hassle taken away and they want the support afterwards and they want it done for them. I think a lot of the smart home stuff that you see in the press is aimed at the DIY guy that likes to buy his own gadgets and fiddle around with stuff himself. But I think our industry, at whatever level, is, is just a different thing. So do you think there's a threat that people like Apple and Google are going to take over and actually end up decimating our market? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, effectively, what these devices are is just a user interface. It's just a user interface you happen to talk to rather than push a button on what that interface then does and, and what it controls behind the scenes. Certainly on the large properties, it can be a specialist item that it's talking to. It doesn't talk to a normal light switch. It doesn't talk to a normal TV. You need to have smart network devices behind the scenes for them to control it. Uh, have you done much voice controlling your projects, Gary? We're getting asked a lot for it. I mean, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, Chris, I was probably like similar people thinking there's no way that will ever take off. There's no way anyone wants to come into a room and clap their hands or say, turn the telly on. It wouldn't happen. It didn't feel comfortable. But I've seen the change in people and I have seen that people have started using it. We've got it here in the showroom and we demonstrate it. People love it. Is it a fad? Is it something that's going to come and go? 
the amount of money that Amazon, etc., are investing into it, they certainly don't think it is a fad. So I think it's here to stay. And I think that the lighting control technologies we see with Philips Hue, will see that come. And, and when we're talking about decimating our market, they're the sorts of things that if the IP light bulb really can do what it, what it looks like it might be able to do, that's a fairly big chunk of the industry that's in danger. Do you agree, Chris? Um, I think so. I mean, an, another use of the, the voice control, well, we've just recently done on a project, the guy who's got very, very poor eyesight. So we originally made his iPad GUI and his touchscreen GUI very, very sort of high contrast so he could read it. But the ability for him to come in and turn the lights on and switch the TV on without needing to read something, um, it's been quite interesting for us seeing that side of things develop. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's various concerns about the security aspect of these things and whether or not they're going to be hacked or people are listening in. I mean, obviously some clients are going to be nervous about things. I think most people understand that Amazon and Google have hopefully got better things to do with the time than listening on inane conversations in people's houses. But I think there is some concerns about this stuff. Um, and I think that certainly high-profile clients would probably want to have those concerns answered before they adopt it. It's a good point you make about the people with disabilities and hard of hearing and, and visually impaired because that is a hugely beneficial home health care and voice activation and you know, really is really is good for them. The Integrated Home Podcast. So now I'm going to hand over to Chris, who's going to put Gary in the hot seat. Gary, we're going to give you some questions. You've got 30 seconds to reveal all about your life. Over to you, Chris. Gary, who is your inspiration in the industry? Definitely you. Of course. What's your favourite project? At the moment, the Guernsey project is. Favourite movie? The Greatest Showman Ever. Are you going to give us a song? I can sing it. Favourite album? Joshua Tree. Ski or snowboard? You yeah. know. <laughs> 4K or 8K? 4K. Tandoori chicken or chicken vindaloo? Definitely tandoori chicken. In wall or in ceiling? In wall. Finally, cornflakes or Weetabix? It's always cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked about the threat to mega basements and we've talked about the potential threat from big consumer brands. Is there actually a future for us in this industry, Gary? Of course there is, Jeff. Now, I think that previously when we were seeing developments and where my original business was in Surrey, there was developments going on and I could see a, a builder and I'd say, look, let's put some music in and some lighting. I'd say, Gary, there's no need. The place will sell on postcode alone. And that is very true, and they always did. However, the markets always get flooded, and then loads more houses get built, and then they do need a differentiator. And you do find those people come back and saying, look, we now need something to beat this property that's down the road, and we're going to do this, that, and the other. Now, I believe that's the same now, and that's coming through with MDUs. There was always the MDU market where they didn't want to put any equipment in. We're now seeing that as turning around, and people are wanting to up the spec of them. Now, interestingly enough... We were talking about Internet of Things and actually to put expensive equipment in the apartment may not be worthwhile for the developer. However, to put in some Philips Hue or some Nest for thermostats or some Sonos and just a couple of rooms actually is very, very cost effective. And you might think there's not much margin in it, but if you times that by 200 units, it's an awful lot of turnover, albeit with slightly less margin. There's a future it's just finding the different avenues sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree, Gary. I mean, 
the top end of the industry um, where um, some of the London-based companies may work and companies based outside. I think there's always going to be high net worth individuals who A, want something other people haven't got, and again, just haven't got the time or the inclination to go away and research those things themselves. They employ architects, project managers, interior designers to build these incredible homes for them, and they will always want the best. But trickling down from that, I just think that the widespread information that, that people got, my mum's got Sonos in her house and a bit of lighting she can control from her phone. And if I'd have said that to her 10 years ago, even when I worked in the industry, she'd have laughed in my face. But it, it's out there and it's becoming much more commonly, commonly used. And I think there's an expectation now that in a, a home somebody's buying, there will be an element of technology. And you must have found as well, Chris, that our industry has grown. The size of our jobs have certainly grown. And, you know, if I thought years ago that I could sell a cinema for £50,000, you'd think no one would want to spend £50,000. And then actually clients now are on their second, third generation property. They've got three or four or five, six other properties. They've seen some incredible cinemas and they always want to make an improvement from the last one. And as you know, you know, the IMAX we just installed recently, that was knocking on door £700,000 for a residential IMAX and a property. You're kidding. Wow. And it sounds as well like you're doing a, quite a lot of refurbishments of jobs that you've actually, you know, you're visiting the second or third time to, to operate. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that on private clients and on some of the developer projects that we do. Um, we did a big installation in a, a 16 apartment scheme a few years ago. That entire building was sold to a new owner and they've refreshed everything now. And the, the, some of those are actually let out as Airbnb. And at the, the area that it's in and the price point they're being rented at, it's got to have the latest tech in there. So they're spending money now. And this is only a, a five-year-old project, but they want it to be completely up to date. So we're seeing a lot of repeat and refresh stuff. And it's a very, very fast-moving industry. And I think we're in a very privileged position of, of always being at the cutting edge and being in a place where we can educate our, our old customers about what new technology is and introduce them to it and hopefully sustain our business in the meantime. And where do you think it might go from here? Are there any other avenues you talked earlier about people who might be slightly less able the eyesight's not that great is that home health opportunity a real opportunity do you think I, going forwards i think it is it's not necessarily an, an area of the market that we've explored in any any great depth but i think there is definitely a, a growing need i mean people are living longer and generally being more independent now so anything that the technology industry as a whole can do to make homes easier to live in and, and make life more comfortable from them um, then i think that's a good thing we do typically operate, Gary and I business both typically operate at the, sort of the very, very top end in central London and surrounding areas market. So we are perhaps a little bit isolated from other avenues maybe. I think, you know, when you look at other avenues, home health care, you mentioned it, it's not for us and us as integrators, but there's a huge market for people there. You know, the senior people, are, there's plenty more of them coming out. I can't remember some of the statistics now, but all you need to remember is at, £1,000 plus per week to put someone in a home. If you can keep them in their home for longer, because they want to be in their home for longer, the problem is monitoring them and making sure they're getting up in the morning. All these new systems out at the moment of putting sensors in the bed, on the toilet, on the fridge, on the front door, you can monitor when your dad or your cantankerous granddad wakes up, what time is he getting up, is he putting the kettle on, is he going to the toilet, is he going to the fridge, is he leaving the house? They start monitoring that and building up a a routine and if that routine changes i.e. he's not going to the toilet as much or he's getting up later that's when you can start going there and it can help people stay in their homes for longer and I think that's an incredible market for people to tap 
and it's still on the back of our industry, really. And what about any other areas? You, you both operate in central London. Do you see anything like country houses? Uh, I mean, the country house is an interesting one. I mean, a, a lot of the houses, I think, over recent years or perhaps 20 years ago fell into ruin really because they just cost so much to run and, and there wasn't really any interest in, in restoring them but we've seen certainly in the last 10 years a lot of the large houses whereas before they might have been broken up and split into flats a lot of them are actually now being restored as, as sort of single dwellings there's obviously a lot of overseas money in London and the southeast and I think a lot of these people do like the idea of sort of a private estate in, in a few hundred acres where they they can't see anything but their own land and another area where I think we've seen definitely more awareness is, is energy saving. We worked on a really interesting project where it was all about energy reduction and, and we were monitoring the impact of those energy reductions. Um, that's an area where I think our industry can take a lead role, definitely. Do you agree, Gary? Yeah, I do. We do an awful lot with our, our systems, the same as Chris does as well, using the occupancy sensors, the PIRs, for the intruder alarm. We can see in this cinema, for example, if no one's in here after half an hour, we know no one's in here, the air conditioning's been left on, the projector's on, the lights are on. It'll come up with a message on the app saying if you don't press a button, we're going to, a little bit like Sky does, and we're going to turn the room off. Now, people's perception has changed with this, and our clients, we used to think they were very blasé about energy, and they had all the money in the world, and they weren't really that fussed if the energy was being used. But now, actually, they feel it's their moral duty to, and as, exactly as Chris says, they they frequently ask about how they can save more energy and what we can do to try and help them do that. And, and it's, it's very commonplace now on all projects. And what about the core business that you've got, which is, I guess, still a lot of AV? It's a lot of cinemas, a lot of um, multi-room audio, isn't it? I would say that we're always called the AV guys, Jeff. And mm. the AV is probably less than half of the project now. Wow. You know, the lighting Absolutely. control yeah. is massive. I mean, we're, we're, we, I don't think we're working on any pure AV projects. We're working on a lot of projects that might have light control and home automation for heating um, that may have no AV at all, or they might just have a, a simple television. I think the home automation side of it for us certainly is a much bigger part of it's the business. A, it's actually an issue for us as an industry, mm. and, the, and the reason why is because if we produce a quote, a proposal for a client, they will always look at it and think that's a lot for AV, TVs and music, and it's not. The data network... The security side of it is massive these days, going right through, like say, to the energy side of it, the window treatments, you know, curtains and blinds, etc. It's a huge, huge, huge part of the project. One of the battles we find on on that is where there's a, there's a QS involved, and he's got a budget allocated for each of these areas, but he'll often have an AV budget, and they'll look at our quotes, and it doesn't fit in the AV budget, and they'll tell us it's too expensive, but they'll have a window treatments package somewhere else, lava heat controls package somewhere else, have a security budget. And I think we need to educate the QSs and the people specifying these that to look at it as a, a home automation package as a whole rather than break it down into AV. It's something that we come across with developers on a, on a lot of developer projects rather than private client whereby they don't see exactly what we're doing and we're involved in so many different elements of the project. And I think getting them to understand that we're not just the AV guys anymore. And that feels like a kind of historic thing because when, when the industry started, it was all about getting across them that you were AV professionals and now it seems to be about educating them, your integration professionals. That is it. It's the integration that's the key. This whole industry started with hi-fi, which went into cinemas and TVs. And to say that's, that's now turned and it's the smallest part of our business. We earn no money on TVs and hi-fi is a lot smaller than it used to be. 
albeit we all wish it was going to continue. Does that take you away from where you started your business then? Well, it does. Cornflake, as a name, started in the 80s. It was a hi-fi shop. When I was at school. And I wasn't around either. Um, <laughs> and it started, and it got the name because some of the guys used to travel past going on their way to work in the city, and, and apparently they used to come to the shop and sit down, have a cup of coffee, probably smoke a couple of cigarettes and eat their breakfast and listen to some music on the hi-fi that were on display. And that's how it got its name, the Cornflake Shop. So hi-fi is our, you know, it was the backbone to the company. That's how we were bred. And we've still got some guys that work for us now, which is, it is their passion, a huge passion of theirs. The problem is the days of having huge speakers on display, although you can get some very, very pretty looking speakers now, it's still difficult when you've got interior designers, architects, end users, clients, to all agree on something that's going to look hi-fi-ish and give a good quality sound. And that is, again, one of the biggest issues we have. It's it's quality versus the aesthetics on, on every job. And you still make it sound lovely, but the old traditional hi-fi setup has obviously gone. Is that the same for you, Chris? Um, it is. And well, actually, in the last five years, and we've seen a, a very small resurgence of people maybe in at least one room having a, a nice pair of speakers and some uh, turntable was in a bit of a resurgence in vinyl at the moment. And I think people uh, have forgotten why they got into music because it's so accessible now. You listen to it all the time. You've got effectively an infinite number of musical tracks in your pocket at any one time. And I think the pleasure of sitting down with a, a glass of wine or a coffee and listening to an album from start to finish to a lot of people has gone. And I think we can reintroduce them to that. Um, and everyone that we've done it for absolutely loves it and, and they may not use it every day, but once or twice a week or maybe maybe even less than that, they'll sit down and put an album on and, and just listen to it the way it's meant to be listened. So that, that, that's good fun. Um, I, I, my company, as you, as you guess by the name, is probably more about the integration side of things, is where we came from. We weren't around back when Gary started this. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Chris. Um, but in fact, Gary's previous company was, was again, um, rather than a pure AV company, it was a, an integration company. And I think we noticed probably four or five years ago that we were doing very, very little cinema, very, very little hi-fi. It was all about the integration. I think we made a conscious effort to reintroduce that to our proposals because, yes, it's the exciting bit. The engineers love putting big speaker systems in, putting in high-end cinemas. It, it, it's the, the fun part of what we do. And I think when you do that for a client and you see the smile on their face, they're never going to get excited about the fact that they can turn the air conditioning off on their phone that's just a given these days but you put someone in a cinema like this one we're sat in now or put them in front of a nice pair of speakers and put their favorite track and their favorite movie and you can see the impact it has on them that's that's what we enjoy doing it's it's funny listening to chris say that it's it is nice when you get a smile from a client it's nice when anyone's happy but the clients we obviously love them all to pieces but they are getting harder and harder to impress they've seen everything they've seen everything either in previous homes or in their friends' homes. And we're constantly trying to come up with new ideas and, and new things that are going to make their life better for them. Their homes are huge, don't forget, and they just need it. They all just want an easy life and they just want to enjoy the home. So is that a concern going forwards that you're not going to be able to meet people's expectations or wow them as you used to? It's never happened yet, Jeff. <laughs> of course, Gary, of course. <laughs> What about you, Chris? Do you think there are challenges on the horizon with just the people being saturated with quality? I think so. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, when people are saturated with quality, then we think we'll have a problem. But I think we're a long way off people being saturated. Saturated with quantity at the moment. 
um, and there's an awful lot of stuff out there and a lot of it's done quite badly for various reasons and a lot of new technologies implemented before it is tested properly and again I think we as an industry need to take responsibility for making sure that what we deliver to people is quality rather than quantity and trying to remember that we're there to a make their lives easy but b put a smile on the face I mean a lot of these people are spending a lot of money however much they've got they're still spending a lot of money and I think they want to feel like they're getting good value from it and you can't really put a price on on the way you can make someone feel if they enjoy something what they spent on it is irrelevant then something as well Chris that you must have found like us that previously where people would say they couldn't tell the difference between speaker A and speaker B and is it really necessary to spend this much money on a particular product or whatever it is and actually now people have experienced it we're finding that people now realize that again because we're saying music's so much more accessible and people seem to be listening to so much more music in the homes they ever used to that they are spending more money on the speakers they don't want to just hide tiny weeny little speakers away they will put a, you know, more of a sizable speaker and maybe we can hide it behind some fabric, but they're happy to have that conversation now, whereas before they really weren't interested. Do you feel under pressure to always be at the top of the, the technology curve for clients? Yes, you do. And you get asked the questions all the time. What's the latest? What's the greatest? What's it? But the reality to anything is it's more the fact of the functionality of having things that are easy to use. Rather than having the latest and greatest, people just want it to work when you press the button. And where our industry, I believe, has sometimes made mistakes is being too forward on things and installing stuff for clients that really we're beta testing for the rest of the industry. Mm. We install it and something doesn't work without a so sorry, we change it. We've learned a lot of valuable lessons from that years gone by and now we, we stick with equipment that we know is safe and then we test stuff here in the showroom and keep it running for quite some time before we pass it on to the clients. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen in the sort of the, the recent iPad and, and iPhone tablet generation is that a lot of people are like, I don't want to buy that expensive remote control, that tablet, I'll just do it off my phone. And actually, again, I think it's an education thing. You sit and try and navigate through a sky planner from an iPad and it can be quite tricky. Do that with a sky remote, you don't even need to look at it. So I think sometimes keeping things simple is the key. Um, making it easy to use and enjoyable and uh, again I think you can be clever behind the scenes but most people still like to come in press a button switch the lights on rather than talk or they, they like to feel a tactile device in there it's hand. a good point the remote control versus the touch screen is is always a big question for for clients what is better and exactly as Chris says the tactile remote control the sky remote best remote in the world the trouble is it doesn't do everything we want it to do so we do have to put them on the touch screen now mm. Years ago, if I said to a client, you know, we're going to do all this lovely stuff for you and it can all be controlled on a touchscreen, they'd say, oh, Gary, that sounds very complicated. Whereas you fast forward to today and if I say we're going to do it, it's going to be on an iPad mini, they go, iPad, love it, absolutely great. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very comfortable now with touchscreens and that, that's a generation skip really and just people being comfortable with, with new devices. But and I actually find they're getting used to the touchscreens with the tactile buttons. And it was always a bit of an issue that if you noticed on an iPad, if you're pressing a button, your finger does wander off sometimes, whereas it doesn't with a remote. But now you've noticed that some of the companies have started bringing good remotes back into the, into the market. So again, it's something great for us. And it also seems to me that, that we've got a more mature market in that where you guys are at in that premium end, there's also a segmentation. There's people who are doing lower sort of level not lower quality but but delivering premium quality to people 
with uh, more affordable incomes like me. You're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, as Gary mentioned earlier, it's very easy to get lost in this sort of ultra high net worth, prime central London world. It's a big part of our industry, but it's actually obviously a small part of, of the UK. And there's a lot of very, very successful companies out there working on much more modestly high priced homes that you and I might live in rather than one of our typical clients. Or uh, Gary. Or Gary. Now Gary's got a big house. <laughs> Look at his cinema. Stop that. <laughs> so in terms of the future, are you concerned about anything or do you think good times ahead? I'm very positive at the moment. I mean, our, our business has, has continued to grow and, and we've got a sort of a very, very good pipeline and I think we're going to continue. We're going to grow this year. We're hopefully going to grow next year and grow in the future. I think we just need to be a little bit more forward thinking and not just wait for customers to come to us and, hey, no, no one knows what's around the corner. But certainly there's big concerns about Brexit and it, it definitely has had an impact on, on certain part of our client base, but other parts unaffected by things like that. It was and we've all spoken and we did all feel a a bit of a dip or a trough at the latter part of, of last year. And, you know, the economy was in a mess and who would want to come to London and invest in property when there was so much uncertainty? However, they were pressing the pause button, I think, rather than the stop button. And it has played again now. And we're seeing jobs that were put on hold have now come back and they they come back to light, which is great. And I think going back to the other point, where we could have been damaged previously is where there was... The industry was new, and if we're going to be honest, there wasn't that many people that really knew what they were doing, and it got a terrible name for our industry. Obviously, nothing we've ever done. <laughs> of course. But it was, it was jobs where people had had stuff installed that wasn't working properly. All their friends had come over. They couldn't turn the telly on, and it gave the whole industry a bad name. And I believe now that through the work that we've done with Cedia and actually all of the companies talking together, we do lots of networking and just discuss the industry as a whole. I think we've cleaned it up now sufficiently so that we all do a good job. And if ever I went to anyone else's job or project and that was substandard, I know they would be embarrassed if I spoke to them about it, the same as I would be if, if they didn't see anything other than perfection from, from myself. And I know Chris would say exactly the same. And that's something that has helped our industry an awful lot to help it grow. I think we are now certainly a respected part of the construction industry if you can call it that i know something senior are pushing towards is trying to get recognition and some certification and a requirement for for companies of a certain quality a bit like they have with gas and electricity that there's some regulation around the way that we operate and i think that can only be a good thing but i think we are now a standard part of, of certainly most of the construction projects we're involved in we're involved very early um, we did used to be a real afterthought the number of times i get a call and they've just just finished decorating, realised we haven't put anything in, can you come in, we can do it all wirelessly, that kind of, it got forgotten about in the past, or I think that happens much less frequently now at all levels of the market, um, not just at the top end. Thank you to our guests, Gary and Chris, and thanks, Gary, for making the Smart Apartment Cinema such a wonderful space for us to record this podcast in. Thanks also to our sponsor, Meridian Audio, and listen out next month for the Integrated Home Podcast, Episode 2. The Integrated Home is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production.